be with you. My name is Trevor Keane. I'm the Assistant Minister here in First Presbyterian Church Portadown uh, and it's my great joy this morning to be able to bring you God's Word. We're going to consider this passage that Paul read for us from Galatians 5. Galatians 5 verses 16 through 26 was the passage that Paul read but really what we want to focus on this morning are these verses at the end verses 24 through 26 of Galatians 5 verses 24 through 26 of Galatians 5 and if you have it open in front of you that would be great as we come to look at God's word together. When we moved over from Dumfries we had terrible problems with our outside tap. Initially it wouldn't turn on and then after it turned on it wouldn't turn off. It was hard to say really uh, which was the more inconvenient. So I did what every self-respecting man does in that situation. I went onto YouTube googled uh, YouTube how to fix an outside tap and sure enough about 4,000 helpful guides popped up proclaiming that it was a simple operation. It was a simple operation yes if you were a plumber. It was a simple operation if you had about two grand's worth of tools lying around but given that I'm not a plumber and given that I didn't have two grand's worth of tools lying around it wasn't that simple. So I did what every self-respecting man who has an arts degree from Queen's does in that situation. I got my trusty spanner out went and had a fiddle around before confidently declaring nope it's broken it's no good we'll need a professional to fix that. Despite all of the how-to guides I couldn't fix the problem. Despite proclaiming how easy it was I couldn't fix the problem and as we come to this section this morning in Galatians 5 verses 24 through 26 uh, we're coming at the end of the section on the fruit of the spirit that we thought about over the past number of weeks together and what we come to in verses 24 through 26 of Galatians 5 is really a kind of how-to guide. It's Paul instructing the believers in Galatia how to put the fruit of the Spirit into practice in their lives. It's Paul instructing the believers in Galatia how to show that they are in step with the Spirit rather than in step with the flesh. It's important to say, now this isn't a, a, a kind of self-help guide. It isn't a, a, a Paul McKenna, I can make you spiritual kind of guide that Paul's giving people. It's showing them how the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit will be shown in their lives. It's applying to them the truth that he's just taught them about the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to see three things from this section and think about three things together. Firstly, we're going to think about how we live, how we live. Secondly, we're going to think about how we grow. And then thirdly and finally, we're going to think about how we fellowship. How we live, how we grow, how we fellowship. So firstly then how we live and we see that in verse 24 and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul reminds the Galatians, he reminds these believers in Galatia that those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature, the flesh, with its passions and desires. Now we need to understand the context here. Paul has just finished thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul has just finished writing to them about the fruit of the Spirit that we've thought about in each individual section over the past number of weeks. Uh, and now he's beginning to show them what it will look like in their lives. And he tells them, the first thing that he reminds them of after reminding them of the fruit of the Spirit is that those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its sinful desires. Now look back with me please at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Then pop down to verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are 
evident. Don't miss the contrast that's being drawn here. Paul has said, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the the Spirit-filled life will look like. And remember, church in Galatia, remember, believers in Jesus Christ in Galatia, you have crucified the flesh with its sinful nature and desires. The contrast is evident, isn't it? This is what sinful nature does. This is what the flesh desires. This is what the flesh wants to do. But you, believers in Galatia, you who belong to Jesus Christ, you have crucified the flesh with its sinful desires. What Paul is saying to these believers in Galatia is that the flesh no longer has any hold on them, that the flesh no longer has any grip on them, that the flesh no longer has any power and sway over their hearts because it has been crucified. Now this doesn't mean that the believers in Galatia won't sin. This doesn't mean that the believers in Galatia won't be tempted by the flesh because they will. They will sin. They will be tempted by the flesh. But what it does mean is that the works of the flesh have no hold on them. That the penalty for the works of the flesh have no say in their lives. Let's try and draw that out a little bit for ourselves. Those of us who are watching, who are listening this morning, who are united by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that life will always be rosy. It doesn't mean that there won't be temptation. It doesn't mean that there won't be sin in our lives. But what it does mean is that we should be putting to death the works of the flesh in our hearts. That the temptation will still be there, but we won't yield to that temptation. That we'll be putting that temptation to death. What it does mean for us is that we should be mortifying sin. That we should be killing sin in our hearts. Now, if we're going to do that, we need to know what sin is. If we're going to put sin to death in our lives, we need to know what particular sins that we might struggle with, that might be a particular temptation for us as believers. It might be lust. It might be anger. It might be jealousy. It might be gossip. It might be slander. They might be the sins that we particularly struggle with. And we need to be merciless in putting those sins to death. In mortifying those sins in ourselves. In putting to death the works of the flesh. But before we move on from this section, secondly though, I want us to notice something that's there for us. Because our biblical theology, and I confess that initially as I read this, I read it in this way. I read it as saying that our sinful nature, our flesh, has been crucified with Christ Jesus on the cross. And that's certainly true, friends. Don't don't misunderstand me this morning. Don't mishear me this morning. That is certainly true. That's a biblical theology. But actually, that's not what Paul says here, is it? Because what does he say to the believers in Galatia in verse 24 of chapter 5? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There was an active element for those who belong to Jesus Christ. There was a a decision to be made for those who belong to Jesus Christ. They crucified the flesh. They make that decision to crucify the flesh. It's not something that's done for them. It's not something that's done to them. It's something that's done by them. We are active in crucifying the works of the flesh. John Owen, the great nonconformist theologian, the great 
pastor from England put it this way. He said that as followers of Jesus Christ, we must be sure to be putting sin to death or else sin will be putting us to death. Be sure to be putting sin to death or sin will be putting you to death. The tense that Paul uses here to, to speak to the believers in Galatia, it's a very specific tense. It's a past tense, but it's a past tense that implies a continuous action that has consequences for today. So he says to them, look, when you believed in Jesus Christ, when you came to that moment where you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you asked for the forgiveness of your sins, you crucified the flesh with its sinful natures and passions. But that decision, that moment has consequences for the rest of eternity. That, that, that decision plays out day by day by day by day as you're faced with particular circumstances, as you're faced with particular temptations and trials. That decision to crucify the flesh is played out day after day after day after day. It's part of the tension that we have to live with in the Christian life, isn't it? The penalty for our sin has been paid in Jesus Christ. No longer does God keep our record of sin against us. No longer is there any debt to be paid by us. We are righteous this morning in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's true. But we also must be putting sin to death in each of our lives this morning. Not because it makes us any more acceptable in God's sight. Not because it adds anything to the already completed perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But because as Paul reminds the believers in Galatia here, that's how we live as Christians. We crucify the flesh and we live by the Spirit. We crucify the sinful nature and we live by the Spirit. We make that active daily decision to follow Christ and put sin to death in each of our lives. That's how we showcase, that's how we display to a watching world the fruit of the Spirit. That Paul says lives in each one of us who are truly Christ. That's then how we live. Not according to the flesh, not according to the sinful desires, but rather crucifying the flesh with all its passions and sinful desires. How we live. Secondly then, how we grow. So if that's how we live in the Christian life, Paul now turns and addresses the, 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 the question, well, how do we grow in the Christian life? If that's how we live, how do we grow? How do we make progress? How do we become stronger Christians? How do we know more and more about the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer is really quite simple on one level, but it's really quite profound on another. It's really quite simple on one level, but it's really hard to put into practice on another. Paul says, verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Other translations, the, the, the NIV, for example, has, If we live by the Spirit, then let us keep in step with the Spirit, which conveys the idea that, that, that Paul's trying to get across here. But notice again that there's a contrast being drawn. If we walk by the Spirit, if we have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, if we live by the Spirit, not live by the flesh, not if the works of the flesh are evident in our lives, but if we live by the Spirit. It's that contrast that runs through this whole section from 16 to 26. That's why we read it all in context, because we see that contrast that's being drawn out, don't we, between the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit, between the life by the flesh and life by the Spirit. It means displaying the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But as well as living by the Spirit, the Galatian believers are instructed to keep in step with the Spirit. 
Notice again, please, that this isn't passive. This isn't the Galatian believers letting go and letting God take care of everything. This is the Galatian believers actively, daily deciding to follow Christ, to keep in step with the Spirit. Most of you already know, um, I'm sure I've talked to some of you at some stage about it, that I, I grew up in the BB, went through uh, junior section, anchor boys, junior section, company section, eventually became a, a non-commissioned officer in the BB, had my Queen's badge, had my President's badge, had done all of those kinds of things with the BB. And one of the differences that happens as you move from the anchor boys into the junior section is that you start to do figure marching. I can remember entering many a figure marching competition, not doing particularly well uh, at it, it has to be said, but I can remember the, the discipline that figure marching taught. And one of the things that the judges were looking out for as they judged the figure marching competition was, are all the boys in step together? Do all of the right foots land at the same time? Do all of the left foots land at the same time? And it's really obvious whenever someone's out of step with everyone else, it's really obvious to see. You didn't want to be that boy who was out of step. You didn't want to be that boy who was letting the company down. So too it is with the Christian life, Paul says, we must keep in step with the Spirit. If we want to live by the Spirit, if we want to crucify the works of the flesh, if we want to crucify the sinful nature with all its passions and desires, then we must keep in step with the Spirit. If the Galatian believers here want to grow in their love for Christ, if the believers, Galatian believers here want to grow in their knowledge and love for God, then they must keep in step with the Spirit. That is how they were to grow. That is how they were to progress. That is how they were to make strides in the Christian life, by keeping in step with the Spirit. Which maybe leads us to the question then, well, well, how do we keep in step with the Spirit? It's all very well and good Paul saying to keep in step with it, but how do we do it practically? Well, we keep in step with the Spirit by using what we might call the ordinary means of grace. We keep in step with the Spirit as we uh, allow him to speak to us in God's Word. As we read it daily, as we gather together corporately and hear it explained Sunday by Sunday, we're, we're training ourselves to keep in step with the Spirit. As he ministers to us from God's word, as he applies God's word to our hearts, we're keeping in step with the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit as we pray, as we have that daily habit of prayer. We keep in step with the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit as we have those regular times of fellowship with other believers. Part of the, 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 the reason that we meet together as a church is to encourage one another, is to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, as Hebrews reminds us, is to encourage one another to press on towards that goal. It's part of keeping in step with the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit as we read Christian books, as we have our, our minds shaped more and more to the image of Christ, as we have our minds more and more conformed to the image of Christ rather than the world. We keep in step with the Spirit. If we want to grow, friends, this morning, if we want to make progress in the Christian life, if we want to press deeper into the things of God, then we must keep in step with the Spirit. The problem is that it doesn't come naturally to any of us. Naturally, we're born with a bent away from God. Naturally, we're born with, with eyes that are turned in towards ourselves. But it's through the rebirth, through the rebirth in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can have this spiritual hunger awakened within us. It's through 
rebirth in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can have that spiritual hunger satisfied within us. That's how we live as Christians. We keep in step with the Spirit. That's how we grow as Christians. We keep in step by the Spirit. How we live by crucifying the sinful nature. How we grow by keeping in step with the Spirit. Then thirdly, finally, how we fellowship. And we see that in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Here Paul instructs the believers in Galatia that they're not to become conceited, that they're not to provoke one another, they're not to envy one another. Conceited isn't really a word that we use today. It was a word that I had to look up in the dictionary to find the meaning of it. And conceited means being excessively proud of yourself. So that's Paul's first instruction to the church in Galatia. That's Paul's first instruction as to how they fellowship together. They are not to become conceited. They're not to become excessively proud of themselves. And of course, pride has no place in the Christian life, does it? After all, we're sinners saved by grace. After all, we are those whose righteousness is as filthy rags. We have nothing to be boast of in the Christian life. We have nothing to be proud of in the Christian life, save the cross of Christ. But that sort of attitude can so easily creep into the church, can't it? That sort of pride and arrogance can so easily creep in amongst us. We can be like the Pharisee, remember in the parable, the Pharisee who prayed, Dear God, thank you that I am not like these other men, tax collectors and sinners. We can be proud of our achievements. We can be proud of the way, the things that the Lord has blessed us with. We can be proud of our knowledge. And the people here in Galatia were probably proud of the level of law keeping that they had achieved. They thought it made them better Christians. They thought it made them superior to the others around them. They'd become conceited because of their law keeping. So that's the blanket statement, if you like. Don't become conceited. Don't become too proud. Don't boast in yourself. But Paul works it out in two ways. He shows the believers in Galatia how this works out in two separate ways. Firstly, he says to them, don't provoke one another. Let us not become conceited, verse 26, provoking one another. Well, how might they do that? Well, they might provoke one another by boasting about their righteousness. They might parade their righteousness around in front of other believers. They might use their law keeping as a means of keeping other believers down and saying, well, what would you know? You haven't attained the level of righteousness that I have. You haven't attained the level of perfection that I have. Therefore, you just stay in your box. They might provoke them to a fight by, by, by saying that they're better than everyone else. And again, we can do this, can't we? We might use our knowledge, our intellect, the number of books that we read, the number of times that we've read Calvin's Institutes, the number of times that we've meditated upon Martin Luther's works to keep others down, to say, well, you're not really as good as I am. You don't know as much as I do. You haven't read as many books as I have. We might do it today by flaunting the good things that God has given us and boasting in them as if we worked hard enough for them. We might provoke one another with our attitude towards other believers. But secondly, though, so that's the first way Paul says, don't provoke one another. But secondly then, Paul also says, don't envy one another. This is the opposite end. So we had people on the one hand who looked down on others. But then on the other hand, Paul actually says, well, look, don't envy one another either. That's equally as bad. Don't look 
at what someone else has got and say, why has God blessed them like that? Why has God given them those good gifts? Why hasn't God given me anything? We can feel inferior to others in the church and so we envy them. We want the things that they have. What Paul's calling the believers here in Galatia to is to have an accurate picture of themselves and an accurate picture of their brothers and sisters. We are saved by grace. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ by grace. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for pride. There's no room for arrogance at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. There we see that we're more sinful than we've ever imagined, but more loved than we ever dared dream. We're worse than we ever thought we could be, but we're more loved than we ever imagined. So this then is the fruit of the Spirit worked out in the lives of believers. Worked out by their crucifying the works of the flesh and how they live. Worked out by their keeping in step with the Spirit day by day by day. And worked out in their relationships with one another. Amen.